Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the game streams, website, and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. And even a single dollar helps. And for those who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for episode 119 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on February 2nd, 2018, over on twitch.tv slash Chat. Big shout out to our live chat here. Thank you so much for joining us for another evening back in the tower. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who has been said has the voice of a flower, an individual who goes by many names, Justin Sane 0516. Justin, what guys have you donned for tonight's chat? Um, since no one will be able to see it in all its glory, my nickname for tonight is Aham Carl. So you can call me Carl. Or Carl! Or Carl for oh. short. No, no, yes. Good to be back. Very sorry I missed last week. I had a sick youngling. Um and uh yeah. Yeah, that was about all of it. I'll leave the episode three jokes out of that one. <laughs> yeah, but I am I'm I am a lucky duck because he pulled out of it nicely. He didn't murder, you know, like the rest of the Jedi or anything. Oh he, he got over I was I, I was actually gonna go more towards like, you know, thank thank God for Obi Wan because at least he saved him, right? Right? It's just it's just like that picture of Obi Wan circulates. Yeah, it's 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 just like that picture that circulates around that goes. I I bet you won't share this picture of Jesus, and really, it's just freaking you and McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And then and then you just remember that is Hayden Christensen, and you're okay with him burning to death. Um, (laughs) Well, that went dark fast. Mm. Well, that was bad enough right. the youngling talk. <laughs> well, also alongside us, we have our master of social media, the one and only Green Eye Music Lover. Green, hope you're doing well. You looking forward to tonight's chat? I am, and I'm actually for everybody who's like that's a stretch for Justin's name. I'm the other half of the the joke right now. I am Aham <laughs> Carla. She's uh, very happy about that's, that. That's uh, I, uh, I, I have never wanted anything but for a woman. To refer to me as the other half of the joke. Like, that is... We're in dream country right now. Yes. <laughs> we... Teamwork makes a dream work, honey. I'm high-fiving you. I'm high-fiving yes. you. <laughs> I high-five back. We have a high-five button in our, our, our new setup kind of thing. So, we're high-fiving. <laughs> We also have the grizzly bearded cultivator of spinfoil himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing tonight? I'm going to die. See, this is the joke, though, because I'm part three of all of this little joke that's going on. And it's, I hate these puns. No, you don't. You lie. Carry on with them, I suppose. Your wayward son. 
Don't. Oh, we were just doing a chocking <laughs> earlier hey, before the show. Listen, listen. We get this. And that song I Beard. wouldn't sing. I'd be okay with that. Beard. Beard. Just Hi. chill. There'll be peace when you are done. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, Don't you cry. Anything. Blue, blue help. Quick, quick, blue help. <laughs> so last week we asked the community, are the worm gods <laughs> and Omkar related? I'm trying so hard. I know. <laughs> the responses are in green. Would you give us the answer? Okay. You good? You good, you good guys? No, I, I'm, I think I can breathe still. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, As far as what Twitter thought, we had 121 votes. The the three choices were, yes, the Ahamkar are related to worm gods. Maybe they're related or no, they're not related. And it broke down a little bit weirder than I thought it would. Like, I didn't expect it to go this way at all. I figured most people would say, yes, it's related to Ahamkar, which they did. It's 52%. But we had a huge contingency that was like 36% maybe, and only 12% of people thought no. So community thinks Ahamkara are related to the worm gods. It's probably because of the card that was read or going to be read in the summary coming up. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just I'm actually curious about the people who are strongly opposed to it. I want I would be curious as to like the the logic there. And like didn't the have a whole the reason, lot of the reason why. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of people give me like actual reasonings for yes or no, but there were a few, and I don't think anybody who said no gave me a reason for it. I don't see one right now. So, so if so you have a reason for it, no one showed their work. <sighs> Minus well, I had some people show their work. It's just you know when a teacher tells you to show your work and you can just get to the answer. I get it. If you can get to the answer, it's just. It's nice to show your work, yeah. guys. Yeah. I just wrote the word work. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go cry in a that corner because I don't work that. anymore. And this is bringing back old feelings, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were bringing papers on this show. <laughs> well, so we, we appreciate all the feedback on that. And like, like we really, I'm really curious about the people who are like really opposed to that. Um, so I guess the question is, what is this week's question? Beard, you're not allowed to answer this one. Right. I asked, I asked, I asked the group, Hey, what's the community feedback question for this week? And Beard immediately, next community question. How many monsters have you hunted? Like, uh, if you want to put that in as extra credit, yes, you can put that in as extra credit under the tweet. Yay. So, um, I don't, man, I don't, for community feedback for this, for this upcoming week. Oh, what are you guys thinking? What is, what is the next show again? Reef and Awoken. Hmm. Well, there, there's I an mean, obvious one. I know there's an obvious one, but it's say. so it's so. Do you, I mean, do we want to ask that one? Why don't we ask? Do awoken have two souls? I can, right. I got a. 
I got another good one too. Go for it. Harbingers. Oh, yes, yeah. I agree. I like that one. Mm-hmm. So where we could kind of go with that, uh, Harbingers have been argued as being uh, in high relation to uh, the Traveler's Light in some way, shape, or form. Uh, they could be in some way related to the void zone that the Traveler could hang out in. Uh, there, There's a multitude of thoughts that uh, can kind of exist with the Harbingers, which also plays back, of course, to how the uh, Awoken kind of would, would fit into the scene as well. So that's why the uh, Harbingers are so... Uh, sickly important. If you are not familiar with what I'm talking about, uh, check out the Taken King opening cutscene because uh, it's those those orbs of light that Mara saw of the Queen of the Awoken summons. Uh, those are called the Harbingers, um, and where they they say there's seven of them. We see all seven of them in the cutscene, but there's some other lore implications that say there might be more of them. This is why the question is, what the heck are they? So I think that's where the feedback will be kind of. Uh, it's open-ended, so a poll is going to be kind of bad on that angle. But if you guys can leave some kind of feedback, that'd be absolutely awesome just to yeah. kind of see what you guys think. Mm, Definitely. And if you are somebody who responds to the poll, if you retweet it, I don't have the entire community on my Twitter. I wish I did. That would be awesome. But if you retweet it, that'll get the poll out there more so we can get some more feedback on it. And that would be amazing. Cool. All right, so be sure to sound off and let us know your thoughts on that one because, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what, what feedback we do get on that. Um, but we're looking forward to diving into the discussion. I know the team is here as well. So let's run through the standard intro notes, and then we'll get right into it. Our topic for this week's chat is going to be a look at the Worm Gods. Before we jump into that, however, I do have a few housekeeping notes to run through. In our last chat, we discussed Saint-14. If you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up, please be sure to check out the new FocusFireChat.com for archives, articles, and links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing, as well as helping us continue to grow. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering, where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday, at around 10pm Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network, links of which can be found on our show notes or on our website. Podcasts focused on Destiny include Guardian Radio, the first and longest-running Destiny podcast on the net, Guardian One, a Destiny group dedicated to Guardians helping Guardians and discussing current Destiny news and happenings, Ghost and Echoes, which is a collection of the Destiny audio grimoire from Destiny One, and the network's newest edition, This Guardian Life, which is a podcast from the casual Guardian's perspective that highlights all Guardians, large and small. We do also have a non-Destiny-focused podcast, The Enthusiast Life, which is a podcast discussing a wide range of fun topics from within the entertainment world. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on The Reef and Awoken. Be sure to weigh in on the poll this weekend to let us know which topic you want to discuss after that. Links to that poll can be found either on Twitter, at Focus Fire Chat, or within our Discord server. I've asked Green to put together a high-level summary of tonight's topic, and this is what she had to say. This week's summary is courtesy of Purple Chimera. 
from IshtarCollective.net. Creatures that lived in the furthest depths of the Fundament. On the Fundament, Zavathun, one of the three exiled daughters of the Osmian King, heard instructions from a dead worm. Following those instructions, the sisters traveled into the depths of their world where they met the Leviathan, who warned against traveling deeper. They ignored his warnings to meet five creatures that called themselves the Worm Gods, Yul, Ir, Zol, Ur, and Akka. Yul described himself as being dragon-like, saying, I am Yul, the Honest Worm. Behold my passage, behold my vast displacement, my ponderous strength, my great and coiling length, my folding jaws and curled wings. Behold the hiding city symbiotic with my flesh. I am Thekat Arash. I am at the beginning and the end of lives. Behold Ur and Zol and Ur. The virtuous worms look upon us and know that we are good. The five creatures said that they had been trapped in the depths of the planet for millions of years, and in that time they had summoned many species to the fundament. The worm gods were aligned with a force they called the deep, and opposed to the nature of the sky, including the Leviathan and the Traveler, who they said were agents of the sky. According to the Leviathan, the deep claim was that existence is the struggle to exist. It seemed that while the forces of the sky promoted cooperation, the forces of the deep promoted competition. Yul proposed a bargain to the three sisters. If the sisters would take the worm god larvae into their bodies, then the sisters would gain incredible power, enough to retake their kingdom. In return, the sisters would have to promise never to abandon satisfying their curiosity, testing their strength, or using their cunning. The sisters accepted the bargain, leading to the birth of Arax, Zavathun, and Zivuarath. When the Hive met resistance against the united forces of the Ecumen, Oryx realized the way of the Deep was to take what was needed, but the Worm Gods had given their larvae freely. In order to gain mastery over the deep, Arix would need to take that power for himself. Arix killed his sisters to gain strength, although they were not killed permanently, and found Akka, the Worm of Secrets. Arix slew Akka and in the process learned how to take life and bend it to its will. He renamed himself Oryx, the Taken King. The other worm gods were pleased with Oryx's actions. Before we jump into the information and thoughts the community had about Worm Gods, let's look at this week's Lost Lore. Alright, so this week, what I think would be the most obvious Lost Lore topic would be the Hive Princes. 
really kind of enjoyed digging into these a little bit. And I'm kind of curious on, I know Green and I had a little bit of a conversation about it, but I'm also curious about Beard and Justin's thoughts on it. Um, we have, we basically see these, these figures within Destiny 1. We haven't seen really anything significant or close to this level in Destiny 2 just yet. But this is actually, there are four of them that are named specifically for the Ahamkara. Um, or not the Ahamkara, the work gods. The I mean, the worm gods. Stop! See? I'm so confused. It's a slippery. It's, it's a slippery, slippery, slippery slope. Just, just like my, mm-hmm. just like my job. Anyways, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So the swarm princes that we know of are Dekur, Merak, Garak, and Banuk. Um, and they are all identified as specific princes to the individual worm gods. Uh, Decor is Yule, Murak is Ir, Garak is Zol, and Banuk is Ur. Now, the thing that to me stood out really quickly was there was no go- no uh, prince for Akka, which, going back to the Books of Sorrow, kind of that makes sense because Akka isn't really around. However, we are introduced later in Destiny 1 to another prince who is known as Urox, which is the Flame Prince who's described as being from a long forgotten brood. And so I have a couple, couple questions, but my, my first one is, do you guys think that Urox is associated with Akka or is it just a, another hive prince? Like what, where, where do you guys think Urox does Urox fall within the same categorization of the swarm princes or what are your guys thoughts on that? I think, I mean, the biggest thing is deciding what the title with the different worm gods names tied to him actually mean. Like, is mm-hmm. it something different versus the flame prince to be Ur's prince? I mean, we do see some taken that have the worm gods attached to him within right. Destiny 2, but we don't have right. any hive hive if i and, and if to i'm be, remembering correctly i don't i don't remember any i do know um there are some other characters or other npc enemy characters within destiny 1 that are identified with the worm gods names and those are the spawn uh, or you know ear spawn or zol spawn uh one of them that stands out is mormu uh who is zol spawn where i'm going to there's there's a personal theory of mine with regards to Zol and his his or her relationship with the hive a little bit. Um, it's not a good one. Um, and Mormu Mormu kind of plays into that because Zol is continuously connected to uh, especially ogres. Uh, he's very or the, it's very connected to ogres and and the abominations as his ear as well. But um, yeah, and I guess that's the other question that I had about the princes is so like chats, you know, chats pointing out Sardon, which is Curtis Fist, was kind of the 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 I guess leader of the Swarm Princes, if you would. The Swarm Princes were basically uh, the 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 hive that were responsible for guarding and are possibly creating the Sword of Crota. Um, Though I don't know about the creation so much because there's conflicting information there because of the Books of Sorrow and then our ghost calls. The, so anyways, but they are responsible for guarding it. Uh, and that's where that's actually where we encounter them in Destiny 1 is we kill them, which begs the question, 
are they ascendant? So are are these are these ascendant hive or are these hive that are not quite ascendant and so they are permanently gone? What do you guys what are your thoughts on that one? Like are we do we potentially are we potentially gonna see these these princes come back? I think that about depends on how much you want to take the recent uh, adventure that is done on Titan mm-hmm. into account. The knight. Uh, because you, yeah, because the knight himself is actually like, we kill him and then his soul ends up hovering around till he goes to a different area, respawns and so on. Uh, so he's, he's hiding his death, so to speak, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... The question is, is that from a gameplay perspective that they kind of figured, oh, we can kind of play with this a little bit more. Uh, we probably should because it's a pretty cool little aspect to the to the hive and how they act. Could they just not implement that in with the, the swarm princes right. uh, at the time just because of knowledge? Or do we want to take it from the opposite angle that we feel the brood on Titan is Savathun's brood? And Sabathun would also, at least from what it seems like, possibly just because of the way that the the knights and even the acolytes from from bottom up, it just seems like her her brood is a little bit more built up than what Oryx's was. She seems to be in that idea of, well, I'm going to remain powerful, but I'm going to still give my brood the means to be cunning and powerful as well if that makes enough sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the idea basically to ensure that her survival is a guaranteed because she has enough power behind her. She's already got enough power because of uh, quite possibly what she knows from Kariah, which of course gets into a whole different theory, but I am getting tangential. Uh, the thing that I mean by this is that anything that may be related with Oryx brood, uh, be it with Crota uh, be it with Oryx himself, be it with the sister, the, the twins, uh, they don't necessarily seem like they're in it for anybody else other than themselves, which is what we kind of know of with the hive to begin with in Destiny 1 and throughout the Books of Sorrow. And meanwhile, seeing this knight be able to actually teleport and manage the way that it does kind of makes me think that they're given a little bit more uh, influence over... Uh. Oh, that's an interesting. Over, like what, yeah. what they could do, yeah. So, I, I, so there's, I don't so know there's how almost true it could like be. right. No, I, I I didn't even think about that too. But that's a, that's a really good point. So the the entire information basis that we have for the hive is all through Oryx's brood, right? We we only mm-hmm. really have seen one third of the brood of the of really the hive. We don't know how Savathun and Zivu are are handling their houses. We only have seen Oryx's. And Oryx has always been kind of a thin for yourself and very, you know, very hierarchical where I can, oh man, I didn't even think about the the potential, um, like, uh, what would it, it would be a, uh, a socioeconomical kind of difference in the way that they run their houses. Like, yeah, I'm Sabbath, say how, Sabbath how they would divvy up that tiny thing. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't even think. So, yeah, you're right. If so, like the swarm, which is kind of which actually kind of segues into the other question I had about uh, the princes is, you know, are these princes unique to um, 
to Crota and Oryx, but I know Green, did you have something? I I did. I just wanted to think of, have to redirect the thought about the princes a mm-hmm. little bit because the princes in the the bargain card from Books of Sorrows they're referring to Oryx and and technically it was Arash and Zivu and everybody as princes at this point. So right, 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 right. Lower, their lower staged possible could get to the higher stage at, later on. Do we think that the Yule and Ur, are they just, are they titles that are assigned to them or are they actually given th- that from the worm gods themselves? I mean, I know they don't necessarily go into that, but. My thought on that was actually with the worm, with the worm gods and the, the Faustian bargain that we're going to get into later. Um, but with that whole thing, we know that basically every single larva in the hive is associated with one of these gods, right? Every single one of the hive worms can trace its lineage back to one of the worm gods. And so I don't, I, I actually kind of think that that's that, you know, green, I think that is actually a really good point. And actually I do think that's the case. I think, cause we also know that within Oryx's, you know, pyramid scheme, whatever you want to call it, multi-level marketing scheme, but you know, whatever, whatever title you want to give it, um, within that, that model, the tithing process, that is how the hive grow. Cause it, cause a hive when it's born is a thrall and then it can become an acolyte and become a knight and, you know, or a wizard or whatever, whatever the transfer, the metamorphosis that it undertakes. And it go and it goes through those, those changes as it becomes more powerful. It becomes more, um, as it gets promoted from mid management to higher management, you know, the work gods there's there's a lot of jokes that i can make about that but i'm not going to but as they as they enter into the higher echelons of mid-management you know they could be become you know you know they are this particular faction of larva is from ear or this particular you know this particular lineage traces its back to yule we see that within uh even on the dreadnought there are particular treasure chests that we could uh, we could unlock that had per- that were associated with particular gods. Um, there were there was I think actually the, in that one we actually did have a key of Akka. Like I think we all we had all five worm god keys, and each of those unlocked a specific chest that was you know un- uh, attainable in the dreadnought during Destiny right. One. Um, so I oh, go for it, go for it. I the only thing that I would say kind of present is the actually what i read in the summary yule is the one that they get the worms from or at least he's the one that's speaking at that point i kind of took it as he was speaking for them oh yeah they're all there behold urzel yeah they're all there so i don't know yeah he says behold them they are the virtuous worms yeah we are the virtue whatever um, but I kind of, I always kind of took it as like, Yule's not the only one that has larva because we all, I mean, again, going back to kind of like the fact that we have, uh, Mormu, Zolspawn, uh, and then there's, uh, there's the princes who are, you know, kind of, again, associated with particular worm gods to me, that kind of makes sense. And then you also see, um, within, uh, 
let's say, and we're, we'll get into this a little bit with the etymology of the worm gods, but like each worm god kind of seems to have almost like a sphere of power, which is very common in pantheons, but like that doesn't really, they, they, they blend well together, but they're not like Yule is described as the honest worm. Akka is described as, you know, kind of the worm of secrets. Zol seems to be kind of this kind of wrathful creature. And then ear kind of seems all about the medical and these, these medical experiments um, and all that. And so each one of the worm gods kind of has their own little thing. And then if you look, there's also kind of that kind of that division in the hive as well, because you have Mormu Zolspawn, who is responsible for the summoning pits. You have um, different wizards that are resp- that are related to ear and ear kind of seems very powerful in the hive pantheon. And we don't see a lot of it anywhere else other than orcs uses him to threaten his sibling or his, his offspring quite often. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of interplay, I think. And it, it just reminds me a lot of like the Roman pantheon and, you know, like how those, those different gods were used in di- interchangeably different positions based on this, the, the, the situation and the context that was being faced by the Roman citizens. But Justin, I know you had, you had something. Oh yeah. I just wanted to kind of, and this may or may not have any bearing here, but I think it kind of does. Uh, the actual um, dynamic of the difference between a swarm and a hive. Um, if you're speaking about bees, like you, you might use the two terms interchangeably, but a hive is an established colony. It's an it's an established structure, um, usually some sort of honeycomb, and then there's a hierarchy inside the hive and it's a, it's a very structured place. Um, a swarm, the best way to describe it is a group of bees or whatever it is that's swarming. Um, that's between homes and bees and other similar insects will actually swarm and hold a certain area and just kind of swarm in that area and send scouts out to find a new home. So if you ever see a a big group of bees somewhere just kind of hovering, that's a swarm and they're actually they're actually sending scouts out to find the the next place to put their to put their new hive. But that's actually kind of how I think of these swarm princes. Each one embodies a a different worm and they're actually sent out into the in, into our causal world, um, looking for a new place to build a colony. What do you think? I actually like that. I think I like I like that I I like that parallel there. Um, mm-hmm. I think I I also you know just kind of also think that what we call the hive as a whole is is actually more like what you were describing as a swarm. To be honest, I don't I, I think that that the definition of swarm fits the hive more than the definition of a hive because they kind of seem to be kind of, you know, transitory. They, they seem to be searching for, you know, the final shape, whatever you want to insert there. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely I like that about the swarm princes. I like that connection. I actually think naming them the swarm princes is kind of uh, 
a way of deeming them like a sort of uh, scouting group. Like they're they're actually venturing out into our plane, our realm, trying to find places that they could that a colony could take so to I could actually my, gain purchase. Yeah, I guess my only my only contention to that is if that was if that was a hundred percent the case, why would they be knights, not wizards? Hmm. That's right. a good I mean, point. Because the I, wizards I could, are more I could venture. Yo, yo, go for it. Go for it, Beard. I I could venture to possibly say that it's like uh kind of running with that idea. Make it into like military hierarchy in a way. Mm-hmm. You've got a platoon, you have a battalion, you have a regiment. Uh it, it could be something of that nature where it's more of a breakdown that way, uh, towards military control. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. that would at least explain a little bit more of the ideas of uh yeah, especially with uh with, with them being knights, uh, because they are the more militaristic warring uh concept, if you will. Right. And I guess the only the only reason I was bringing that up is because like the wizards seem to be more mm-hmm. like the the mother morph that we see mentioned in the books of sorrow mm-hmm. um, than the knights, which is definitely more military. But, like, more but military. the wizards do have more of a uh, a command type role to them. Whereas if you were going to send a that's true, that's true. An, yeah. an, auton- mm-hmm. an autonomous militaristic type unit out, it would make sense to have them be knights because establish a foothold all- and then send the wizard out. Yeah. After. yeah. They do have the autonomy as knights to be able to actually like have some, some, you know, leeway to act, but um, they, they have the power to actually um, impose force and also, you know, I mean, it it, it kind of makes sense, but no, I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I really do, and I actually that kind of I'll try to I'll try to bring it back a little bit. Um, you know, we kind of were talking about ascendancy, right? And you know, beard. I I like I I still I really like the the explanation there about about the possible difference between Savathun's Savathun's court and Oryx's you know dis, distribution of power. Um, but what kind of, what is ascendancy in the world of the hive? Like is, and this is kind of a question that I know a lot of us have kind of, kind of wrestled around with is what, what is it that really makes the hive? What is it that makes a hive ascendant? Is it, is there a certain part of, or is there a certain bar of power that once they achieve, they can, they can access it? You know, what, what is, what beard, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, per that notion, it's, uh, at least the way I've always interpreted it, it feels more of like a, a means of power versus also a manipulation of like what's around them because the, to manipulate a throne world, especially seems like that takes a lot of paracausal energy. Mm-hmm. In in how that would all kind of conform, work out, so on. Uh, so it's understanding your own power as well as growing your own power. Uh, and there would be a a certain point where by the the quote unquote magics or powers of the hive, 
it would kind of fit in the same realm as like what we have with say super, or, you know, if you really want to go back to this, arguably how it is with Sunsinger, uh, it would be the same kind of resurrector, uh, resurrection powers that could be kind of manipulated into it. Uh, I would say it is a mix between power, uh, and then, uh, understanding more than anything else. Uh, it, it's it's something where you had to really uh, really kind of focus it because we we needed to. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the best way to put it, which is why I'm kind of like dancing around the bush here a little bit. Uh, when we went in for uh, the mission, what was it? Uh, Light beyond something like that with uh, the Crota Crystal, oh, yeah, uh, where yeah, we yeah, grabbed yeah. that. And then we go to the death ceremony because I don't want Eris to yell at me. Um, they <laughs> actually make it to the point where, you know, we need to get a hold of his essence. Well, his mm-hmm. what what would be the essence for a hive? Uh, is it that their power? Is it their uh, overall philosophy? Is it just their being? Is it is it their arguable soul? What is it? Uh, I would just go as far to say that it was just that overwhelming of a power that they had, that that's what makes them into an ascendant being in some way. Because I know when we see with like the example of the, you know, kind of bringing this back into the worm gods, um, you see this a little bit with Kahar Atoll. Right. With the, the, right. the slaughter that was necessary for the worm gods to achieve the logic to then make geostationary orbit from fundament. Right. So and, and that kind of ties into the concept of, you know, like the, the hive and the worms as vampiric. They literally drain the light from from creatures and then use that light as a source of power. Uh, mm hmm. And I, I, I really actually kind of like that that parallel there because that kind of does seem very strongly implied within the Books of Sorrow is it is by killing the those around them that they gain power, which if you if you are very familiar with like most of the vampire mythology, especially Eastern vampire mythology, uh, life force is something that is that is actually even within the Western vampires, the reason why Western mythology of vampire was so heavily focused on blood is because during that time that was what was assumed to be the life force uh whereas in eastern it was more of your like your key or your chi um your your soul and so that's kind of where the hive really seemed to me to be very 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 connected to that vampiric thought process as far as achieving that power through there so like the the concept of ascendancy though it's like, is that something akin to as they as they are promoted through the ranks and they are they gain access to more power than that's when they they are themselves able to make their own wounds in reality to achieve this in realm? I mean excuse me. Um right, does that would you guys agree with that idea? Like it's kind of like it's it I mean I, I beard I think it's I think I'm kind of agreeing with you on that one. It's not but because it, it's it's not just power and I, I like that I like that right. explanation because you have to understand how to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and there's there's also this brief or small or or maybe it is a lot heavier than I give it credit to be uh, element that exists where you have to also uh, persist with that power because as we know over time you'll start to actually have like a a, a hives the spirit will kind of begin to wane. Uh, their, their worm will of course start to feed on them and they need to go ahead and recuperate their powers. Uh, a number of pieces behind that. Uh, and, and that's where I think that there is that element of proving yourself of, of power, uh, of, of making sure and obtaining that your, your worm is satisfied, but ultimately it comes down to the, the hive being themselves, uh, to understand that knowledge and how to use it. Uh, but enough power behind their worm in order to manifest it. I, I, I kind of keep coming back to the, the synchronous of like guardians and hive because mm-hmm. I see a lot right. of parallels with us. Right. And granted it's called out in games as often as it is. The same is basically true of, if you want to look at this from like the lights perspective of a ghost, where as soon as a ghost runs out of light, uh, per that point, a guardian has no other means that they can resurrect themselves. Uh, if a worm were to run out of tithing, that may imply that they are not able to then resurrect or enter their, their throne worlds. That's at least my thinking behind it. If I continue the parallel. Right. And I, and I think that brings to me, you know, to pull, like, I, I, that, that's a very dangerous tangent to go down because I'm pretty sure you and I could probably have that conversation for, for hours. Um, uh, but yeah. to, uh, to kind of pull it back into the, the worm gods, you know, so one of the biggest, biggest contention points, I guess, uh, for a lot of people who know of the worm gods through the books of sorrow is, is the Faustian bargain, right? That, that bargain mm-hmm. between the worm gods or between Yule basically and the sisters, um, or the siblings. And I guess that brings up the question too, are, where does, where does, so we know the bargain exists between the siblings, which, you know, Oryx, Savathun, Zebu, Wrath, and the hive, mm-hmm. the worm gods. We know what those bargains are. What about every other hive in existence? Like how, how, what is your interpretation on where do the high, where do the regular hive, if you want to call them, you know, the, the, the 99%, not the one percenters, the 99%, where do they fall within these bargains? Because you're right. I mean, I do get the sense that their worms will consume them if they don't get their feeding of light, but are they bound by a particular bargain in the sense that the siblings are bound by it? Or are they just required to feed light? Like, do they just need to channel straight light, or are they, or do they need to inherently follow this this nature of themselves? Which then begs the question, you know, what is what does that mean? Because do, does that mean that every single hive has a has an individual? Because you know, going back to the going back to what Justin was you know talking about with the the swarm princes. A hive mind begs the question, are these actual individual aspects or are these just fragments of a singular matron or, you know, queen bee, if you will? Well, do we have any instances of there actually being a worm coming out of any other hive? Uh, in 
in game there are times that you when you're when you're killing like an acolyte or a I, I know for an acolyte I know uh you can sometimes see the worm animation. Like if you get a if you get it in Destiny One especially, I'm pretty sure. I I'm pretty so, sure I saw someone talking about it in Destiny Two. I, I haven't seen it in Destiny Two, but I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering it's been a while since I played Destiny One, but I well, think okay. that it was in Destiny One. So here's the question. If they're the breeding ground for the hive, right? Are the worms introduced there? Do I don't remember if there's worms in like the the beginning of D one there the hallways or anything like that. I only mm-hmm. remember seeing the little grubs in the dreadnought, which is Akka, which makes sense that they would be there because there's larvae all over Akka and all the rest of the worms. But I don't remember seeing it in other places. Yeah, in yeah, D one, I can't true. remember I don't, too much. Maybe, I don't remember the maybe being like, down in the moon in the the undergrounds of the moon. I don't. Yeah, that was the only place I was thinking that they would have been, and even like around the bones or anything like that, you just don't see any of them. So I I think that they are keyly placed inside of the dreadnought for that reason. But no, with uh, though with Titan mm-hmm. though they are swarming around in Titan, right? Well. I gotta say they are they are there, and you've got the the ones that fall out of uh, knights, wizards, and acolytes when you shoot them. The only ones that don't have it, it seems like, are thrall. Uh, or if it does happen, then I've I've never personally seen it happen on a thrall. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the explanation could be that it's just not a a large enough worm. So because. They're all kind of disintegrated. (laughs) They disintegrate when you kill them. (laughs) What do you think? I think I think you take um, a portion of the larva, and the biggest portion obviously goes in the um, what what would you call the the ascendant of the line? So, like, let's say for example. The the largest portion of the worm goes in oryx, um, and then a smaller portion of the larva goes in and and gets disseminated out through all of all of his subjects. Right, everyone gets a piece of them. It's it's kind of like have you ever been in a church and you know they they say this is the body of Christ. Or you know, I, I which is an ad- there. No, not, but that's an app. That's not- an apt. That's an apt parallel because that's pretty much exactly what Yule says. Yeah, yeah. I'm not comparing Catholicism to the Worm Pact, <laughs> but no. And hate mail starts. <laughs> broken. It's broken. No. Um. All I'm saying is. All I'm saying is. Do do. Do you get that feeling when when you're in that service and they say this is the body of Christ and they they hand out the the you know the small the small wafers that mm-hmm. that obviously are snack sized portions of Christ um and and you're like okay it disseminates you, blues broken um so <laughs> it disseminates so you can imagine the thrall at the low level has a very tiny, um, a very tiny portion of larva 
at his disposal. So his demand, his individual demand is low. But he has to account for the demand in the level above him because the the entity directly above him, his larva demands what it demands. And that entity has to has to account for the demand of its larva, which is significantly greater than – do you see it's exponential? It, it moves level to level above. So it does extend all the way to the lowest thrall, but – it's it's diluted by the time you get to the lowest thrall the individual demand of the larva at the lowest thrall level is i mean it's microscopic when when compared to the demand of the of the um worm larva at the oryx level like that larva is you know it it needs to be fed you know well right right and that's why we had the court of oryx right which is mm-hmm. Oryx's response to their because they got to a point where they were basically eating worlds and that wasn't that was still not enough light for their worms. And so Oryx basically made the pyramid scheme um, that he that he has in order to sate his worms hunger. Because the thing is, is just as with most, you know, again, going back to the vampire mythology, just as with most of those, that myth, mythological, you know, archetype, uh, as they sate the hunger, they become hungrier. Uh, it's, it's a pretty popular trope called the horror hunger, which is kind of where, you know, as, as they sate their, 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 um, you see this a lot. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put words into into this um you see this a lot with like lycanthropy right um especially uh characters who have been forced into lycanthropy uh who are fighting this inner battle of this bloodlust um it's a very popular trope um and it's 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 just as they as they sate the hunger the hunger becomes sharper and it, you know, there's, it's a never ending cycle of this like need to consume, um, which is exactly what the worms are, which, which goes to, you know, a green summary presentation where orcs realizes that the nature of the sword logic that the worm gods propose is that they take, they don't give. So when they were given the larva, they were kind of entered into the second tier citizenship with the regards to, you know, their power structure, which when Oryx then takes the power to commune with the deep and then through that power learns how to take himself like, or to take himself. There's a comma there. It's very hard to do that audibly. Um, That is where Oryx kind of transcends into that next level of power. Is because he has shown he has shown his capability to exert himself upon reality and to take his own place. Um, but I think also, Justin, just to clarify with regards to your um, to to your your comment about like the the, the dissemination of the the larva, I think the thing though that I want to make clear is that every hive does have its own worm. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, I mean, I, I, um, I think well, that I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's kind of how I've always seen well, it 
but I think when, the, I think the hunger of those particular worms differ based on the the, the so, hierarchical positioning of that hive. I've I've kind of come to reevaluate this. Does every hive have its own unique instance of a worm? I, I don't think, think so. so. I see. I, I, I think I, so. I actually I actually have have grown to believe that every hive it is more. It's more of um, like almost like chopping segments off an earthworm. You know, if if I chop the end off an earthworm, it can it can survive. Like it can grow. Like there there are organisms that, when severed, can actually um, grow into a completely different organism. Yeah, and I, I mean, think that's what we're, I, th- I think that's what we're seeing. Orcs' yeah, daughters and I, did that. I think, I think that's what we're seeing, and, and in the sense of is it a full fledged worm? Sure, it sure is. But to to say that it is a unique thing um, for from an originator's standpoint, no. It, I think they, I think see, they probably all are chopped off the end of uh, see, I the originals. And here, here's so okay. Here's here's the reason why. Um, I disagree, uh, because when you when you see the initial start of the crusade of the hive, and I mean I use the word crusade, it, the 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 war that the hive enact upon fundament was a holy war. Like they they were converting people to their cause, and they were not in it. I mean they were physically converting them. They were introducing the larva of the hive of the worm gods to the people. To the peoples of fundament, they took them. They took those larvae and they physically gave, like, gave them homes within the the inhabitants of fundament. To the point where that was part of the bargain was that they would find host for this like the symbiote, this really weird symbiotic relationship um, with the worm gods. It's it's more of, a, and we kind of talked about this in in like way 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 back when we first started with uh with Bife on the Ahamkara and Worm Gods episode. But it's it's a very similar uh symbiotic relationship that's known as endosymbiosis. Um because it's it's almost a mutual thing, but like basically endosymbiosis is a symbiotic relationship in which one organism lives within the body or the cells of another. Um so it's generally Generally, it's an obligate relationship, which basically translates into um, the organisms cannot live without each other, but it's not always. Uh, so, which kind of begs the question of what exactly this symbiotic relationship with the worm is. But the worm gods themselves, like, I don't think the worm gods are inside the siblings by any means, but I think that their offspring, their spawn, literally is inside of the hive. Right. I mean, I don't think I'm not saying that Yule is inside Oryx like that to me is silly. But I think that a offspring or a spawn of Yule or of whatever is inside Oryx. Oryx's worm is the offspring of one of the worm gods. Right. Do you agree with that, Justin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And I, I would even expand on that and say that it's actually 
parasitic endosymbiosis. So yeah, it's right, not right, only right, one. Right. It's it's actually not only one organism living within another organism's. It's actually um, there's a there's a parasitic paradigm there as well of where one organism actually is is actually drawing its sustenance from the other. Um, right, and you see, are, yeah, yeah, there are instances where where uh, endosymbiosis can exist where one organism does not harm the other or oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Endo- yeah. Endosymbiosis is often like, I mean, so a symbiotic relationship does not necessarily translate into a parasitic relationship. I, I, exactly. This was, this was a debate that we had way back then as well. It's like the, 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 the symbiotic relationship is simply meaning that one or one or both parties is, is contingent on, the other party like in in so far as they are they are they are joined so an endosymbiosis and a endosymbiosis symbiotic relationship is simply a symbiotic relationship in which one of the parties is literally inside which is the endo inside the other and generally it is a relationship in which they both require the other uh you see this you know a symbiotic relationship is like uh what was the one uh, gosh man it's been so long um it's like uh clownfish and uh sea anemones right that's a symbiotic yeah. relationship it's not an endosymbiotic but it is a symbiotic relationship neither one is necessarily harming the other but together they actually make a stronger pairing and they actually survive uh you see that yeah. with uh uh, I mean, there's there's tons of examples of symbiotic relationships, um, but like the parasitic nature of the relationship, you know, we see that a lot. Even so, within within the grimoire, we see that within calcified fragment twenty four, which is the scream, uh, and that's and that's where you also see the the sh- ever sharpening hunger of the worms. But that's also where he Oryx refers to worms plural, not singular. So, and I, I see chat chats actually asking this right now too. It's like, so for the hive siblings, do they just have one worm or do they have five? One from each of the worm gods. Ooh. Like, do they have multiple parasites within them? And if they don't, I don't think so. But, but if they don't, they only have a singular, I mean, the worms, they each kind of have their own, I guess, thing is not the best and most right, descriptive way of saying it. A sphere like of the, influence. Mm-hmm. Right. So do the specific worm larvae dictate a specific way that they behave? Or can manipulate whatever's around them? I mean, is there an actual influence granted by the larvae to the host? Besides the initial growth aspect and able to consume light. Yeah. And the reason, and so like going back, sorry to go back to the plural, plural question, the, the growth, like the book of sorrows 24, uh, the calcified fragment I'm thinking that it is a singular worm because Oryx says my worm's hunger grows faster than the might I draw from it. 
But then he says, but as we do this, my siblings, we feed our worms. And the more we feed them, the hungrier they grow faster and faster. I still think that's in relation to their own worm. Right. So there's sense of the right. Right. And that's, that's kind of what I was thinking as well as he's talking about the three worms within the three siblings. Because when he's talking about his worm, he's, he's speaking in singular, but, but then he also refers to worm our God, (laughs) not the worms our God. So it begs the question there as well. Could we tie that back to what I was speaking on earlier, where the different broods end up allowing for the different levels of tithing and how that would all kind of permeate together? It would allow for a separate amount of growth to be done between the broods, basically. Mm-hmm. So That's you, the only other thing. Would that you I think like each think each sibling would have a different? I would think host? that each worm would kind of have like a a similar a similar uh, worm parasite that it could then carry down to the rest of the hive. Yeah, uh, what they would be would be the question, of course, at that point, which also begs the question: there are what five worm gods at that point then with right. three sisters? Yeah how how uh, does, how who who's the who drew the short straws on? A, a, Exactly. And who who isn't necessarily becoming, you know, that much more powerful then? Uh, or are they managing that from afar in a distant area? Because as we kind of know, the worm gods are just a an agent of the dark or of the deep more than they are of it. So that's well, yeah. That's and then also going going back. Yeah, going back to the tithing process too, you know, Oryx is just tithing to them. He's not technically tithing to his worm god. Um, and the same factor that Oryx can have multiple instances tithing to him. So it's a multi, uh, a many to one relationship. You know, mm-hmm. I can see, I can see them just being like, oh, here's a pool of light, basically. And then the worm gods right. themselves are partitioning out from that pool. so many tangents mm-hmm. I, I mean the the only one that could probably answer us that one would be uh it would be a certain warlock that's uh lost among the tithing network speaking of that oh god I, <laughs> speaking of him i know i mean i know he's beard's favorite to talk about but has anybody noticed in that same adventure that we were talking about earlier with the knight, how mm-hmm. the knight soul, if that's what we're going to call it, looks mm-hmm. an awful lot like the different little light ball that we had in the Kingsfall raid that everyone thinks is Toland? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it looks it looks extremely similar. I uh, I don't know if I would call that any relation towards Toland, at oh, least no. personally, but, but I at call least it, I call it, I call it noob bait. Go follow, <laughs> go, go follow the light. Go follow the light guys. Yeah. Funk. Hyper angler fish. I don't know. Pins, well, Pins, well, Pins you know loves they... that, that encounter room. <laughs> there he is in chat. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say you, you, you've, 
always can look underneath the ocean, <laughs> grow people, and find you know some of the absolute worst oh, worst like kind star. of ecology, like a bait yeah, star, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. So so going back to going back to the the shattered one. I mean that kind of mm. also gives us one of our first introductions to the names of the worm gods uh, yeah. is, is within, within Tolan's kind of ramblings, I guess uh, within the ghost fragments. And so that, that in and of itself also kind of introduces us into what was, what is always a fun delve in chat is kind of the etymology of the names of the different, of the different worm gods. And I'm, they're all over the place. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. Like they are mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, this is the blues Yule log version. Oh, of yeah. Jeez, God, man, that was. Oh my gosh, yeah that that connections that connection is still there because Yule is a disambiguation of Yule, like in the Yule log. Um, Yule is also. The Buddha or Chinese term for object, so like you see that a lot in uh, Buddhism. Uh, literally, Y U L means object, or apparently it also means sense field or sensum. Um, so take take that for what you will. Uh, er is a prefix in German that means proto. Uh, so basically, what you see this a lot in is. Uh, like when you're talking about like grandfathers or it's, it's the proto blank. Um, it's also a Sumerian city in biblical times. So, you know, there, that's, that's a little bit of a, of a large disparate connection there. Ear ear is the one that actually makes the most sense to me to be, to be completely honest. Ear is old Norse for mercy or help, but it's also it's it's also a goddess or a Valkyrie figure that is very closely associated with medical skills. And the reason why this um, makes a lot of sense to me is ear is often when we read in the books of sorrow, ear is often associated with um, medically the the medical abominations. So Golgoroth that that is it, it's also certain we'll get to Zol's connection there as well but ear is the one that kind of is responsible for some of those beneficial um medical procedures within the abominations that are controlled by the hive which brings us to Zol. Zol is a i think it's pronounced wolf but it's an it's an african language uh, it's Wolof for heart, but it's also Uzbekistan for speckled, which I don't really know if that signifies anything. But Zol is also connected to the ogres in the sense that Zol is the one that actually sent Golgoroth to eat the hive. So there's there's a, apparently a bit of animosity between Zol and the hive, or at least Oryx, because he, he actually... Or, Zol was actually the one that was responsible for Golgoroth being sent to eat the hive. Zol is also kind of connected to the summoning pits, which is where we see a lot of the abominations like, well, it used to be Fogoth, but now it's just an unnamed ogre. Um, 
but were those that particular strike that was Zol's kind of domain. And the reason why we kind of get that sense is because that's where we encounter Mormu, which is the spawn of Zol. And Mormu is kind of the one that was seemingly in charge of that entire project, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then finally, we Akka. Akka is Finnish for hag. It's also, interestingly enough, an alternative spelling of Akker, or Aker, which is also seen as Akko, which is the city in the Middle Eastern region. Uh, if you've played Assassin's Creed, you, you know this city. If you know anything about medieval history, you probably have heard of this city. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty old city. Um, I mean, pretty much the, the only connection between all five of these is that they're, they're indicative of something ancient. They're indicative of something that's very old. Um, yeah, but we're we're forgetting the the most important one. C- Cthulhu, one? obviously. Oh god! Like, wait, wait, wait! What? I'm like, I'm like, I was like, I was like, <laughs> I'm going through that in my head. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I got him all beard. I'm well, and you know, it's <laughs> no, he's on Titan. Fight. We'll find him later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really. You want to talk <laughs> about? You want to talk about Eldritch abominations, right? I mean, that's again mm-hmm. going into tropes here. That's that's one that definitely is definitely as prevalent here is the the Lovecraftian, you know, horrors of the the unknown and the mythological unexplained. Um, yeah, Cthulhu would probably be a stepsister or step sibling to one of these worm gods. The cousin, I'm gonna say just the fact that like far uh, distant like, cousin. Yeah, I'm gonna say what Vero had said. Like all of them just relate to. Like most of their names being more like a relation to old or old something. And of course, Cthulhu is even, you know, within video games or elsewhere is pretty well related as like an old god. Well, uh, yeah, except so Cthulhu is not even actually the old like god. Cthulhu is the no. gatekeeper to the old gods. Like Cthulhu himself right. or itself is not even. That's not even the one that you need to worry about. God, now I'm thinking of House no. House on Horror or what is it? The Cabin in the no. Woods. Cabin in the Woods. All I can all I can hear <laughs> is now the, that's all I can think of. Thank you that's for that beer. You're welcome. It's not a bad just, thing. Uh, I'm gonna you have know, to go Sigourney watch that Weaver movie now. Just, yeah. Oh God. Oh, yeah, just no, have Sigourney no, Weaver yes. pop up. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was that was her best worst role ever. <laughs> Oh man. wow! I felt like that was a adjusting compliment. I, cutting. <laughs> that, was, that was. A, <laughs> I feel like that's one of those where you're like, "Thanks, but really." <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Like, you know, I think the other thing, you know, while while I'm while I'm talking about tropes, Green Green had to deal with me. Looking up tropes for the, oh the hive. Oh god! It was so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. It was so much so fun. Many. So so I'll be honest. I I didn't know that this was actually like there was an actual term for this trope. Um, but the orange blue or the blue and orange morality. And mm. and of course, Green's over here going, yeah. Th- this is. The, I didn't know there was a term well, for it. Okay, so. I used to listen to Major Spoilers podcast, 
And Matthew, who's one of the co-hosts on that, loves talking about tropes. So he would go over all the tropes on a fairly regular basis. So I'm not super well-versed, but I've at least heard of them. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. Yeah. So like the blue, excuse me, the blue and orange morality is basically, I mean, I was reading this thing and um, it's like, the best example of the the hive in in just in general um so basically it's it's a trope that says like it's it's a description of a character that is within a moral framework that is so utterly alien and foreign to human experience that we literally can't peg them as good or evil like they they aren't they, it's it's just it, it there is no way for us to, to understand them. And you see this a really a lot so in the they books. Are the, the nine. Well, no, no, even, even further removed. Like you yeah. see this a lot in the books of sorrow. And I think, you know, Seth did a really good job in writing the books of sorrow as this, because, you know, it's, it's kind of a trope that's, that basically states that there may be a logic behind their actions. It's just that they operate within such an entirely different set of value and premises from which to draw their conclusions that we have, we, we literally have no common ground in which to connect to them. We can't empathize with them. So it's like, it's like usually what you see a lot of times is that we will find what they do as appalling, but they also find us appalling and really weird or, you know, we, it's a very common, it's, it's just like completely lost in translation. Um, and then, so like, you know, it goes on to kind of explain that, like, although they are often likely to commit acts, we would see as horrific, you know, sometimes there's just random things that they do that just don't make any sense, which again, really explains the hive. Um, but like either way, they basically, they're like, this is, this is just what they, they do. They, they, and this kind of can be seen within, um, the hives presentation of love as killing, you know, they, they love each other. So they kill each other to, to a human mind. That is the antithesis of what it is to, to feel compassion and feel, you know, love or brotherly love or any type of love towards something. You don't want to do them harm. Whereas in the hive paradigm, it's exactly the opposite. You do them harm because by doing them harm in their, in their world, it strengthens them and it makes them a better individual and, you know, further develops them in the logic of the sword. But for humanity, you know, we don't have that. We don't have that, that history and that ascendancy ish, that, that ability to cheat death, basically to sidestep death. Um, so for our paradigm, love is protecting a person which the hive see as that's kind of the 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 exact opposite of what you should be doing because in a hive mentality if you're protecting someone you're you're actually weakening them right um so yeah it's just like the i was reading this blue and orange morality trope and i was like this is this is the hive like this this is the hive's base worldview is explained right here um 
but and then there there were a couple other ones there were there was the the reality warper is another really common trope that you see a lot in the worm gods uh you also had the horror we kind of mentioned the horror hunger um eldritch abomination is again the cthulhu reference uh and then the corruptor is really another one that kind of really is strong with the worm gods in particular you know cough cough faustian bargain um and the the plane of the hive siblings like a fiddle um but yeah so those those are the tropes that i have off the top of my head for them and that's i don't know, i i'm i'm that's pretty much the presentation of the worm gods that i have I mean, I was trying to figure out when we started talking about Metal Gear, they were talking about playing them like a damn fiddle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. God, I didn't get that one. In I there. feel, sorry. I feel so, I feel so sorry. And like, it's one of those things is like with the hive, like they are one of the most beautifully constructed tragic characters in, in like, to be honest, like I, the books of sorrow was in my opinion, one of the best pieces of, of, lore within destiny because it absolutely humanized everything that the hive did and it brought it down into like this understanding or it brought it down to a level which makes understanding like the 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 consequence of their actions is still reverberating through time but it's also because of things that you know, like the entire reason that the hive even exists is because Tao decided that she was going to, you know, she thought that she knew best and she tried to stab everyone in the back and failed miserably. She rolled a critical fail. So. So here's mm-hmm. my question now. Here, here we go. Here do, we go. Yep. It's time to speculate. Hit do, it. Do we think the hive gods or the worm gods have oh. an influence in D2 beyond the obvious Zavathun. Do we think they're influencing other things? Ooh. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I want to say no, personally. Uh, only because, per the moment, the ones that we could... Uh, the larger worms and everything like that, that we at least possibly know about. We knew of the ones that were on the moon. Uh, They appear to be dead. So there's at least that piece. Uh, I just feel like the hive overall are the ones that act out that, uh, what the, the worm gods ultimately are there for. Uh, And at least on a personal level, I don't think that they are necessarily, engaging them themselves onto anything that we're doing. Again, I think that they're, they're having the, the hive kind of take care of a lot of that for, I, I think realistically the, at least in, in my mind, from how I'm putting it all together, the brood that we see on Titan, if it is Savathun's brood, which I, um, uh, do, do we say that that's like confirmed? Because I don't know if it's necessarily confirmed, but it's like ninety percent. Yeah. Well, I don't it's know if it's said in a few of them. It's said yeah, in the missions, isn't it? And we have different. I I would say minions of Savathun. Yeah, 
I'm going to say between that and the, yeah, I got to say between that and the, the taken uh, forces as well, where they have so many things to talk about Savathun besides uh, it makes me think highly that they are. So it's, it's uh, like, I just, it's likely that it is. A, a that's where I'm saying it's like 90% yeah. there. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I think I'm, I think that's where they're they're putting it. Um, anyway, what I what I mean by that is I think that overall, yeah, the the worm gods have to basically act through something else. Um, which don't get me started on the ecology of uh, of Titan. Then, but uh, <laughs> let's carry on. Mm-hmm. Do we okay. have any other speculations about the worm gods? Uh, Chad had had one. Um, Yeah. Do you believe when Oryx killed Akka that his worm consumed Akka instead? Oh. So here's a... That kind of leads me to my next question. So to be be really quick, though, no, I don't think so. Because he made a ship out of Akka. But yes, green go. Sorry, Um, green go. We assume right now that the tithing line ends with whoever's at the top, quote unquote, in the hive. Does it go to the warm gods? Wait, what? Back up, say that again. The tithing line. So right now, like Oryx was the top of the tithing pyramid, quote unquote. Well, right. But does it actually go to his worm beyond him? Because he has to satiate his worm yeah i i think i think that goes back in line with you know the the question of three siblings five five gods you know i i i think that just as they tithe to oryx oryx and the siblings are responsible for tithing to the worm gods we're going to fight the worm gods at some point or, and they're super overpowered because of the tithing line because they're getting all of the hive to them. I mean, once we, once we team up with Nocris and, and imbibe the power of the formless one, sure, let's do it. <laughs> there, I broke beard. I'm done. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. I didn't know we were going dankest memes, but okay. <laughs> Stepping on people's rolls, blues guy. Jeepers! Jeepers! Uh, I'm gonna say I think that uh, in a way almost ties into like a question that I've always had. That of course I've entertained several times, uh, but I think Chad had brought it up at one point or another, which is uh, what kind of reminded me of this. So we know that uh, bones have a very deep significance when it comes to destiny. Uh, We see that Toland had fashioned bad juju to utilize the skull of a vulture for one reason or another. We, we still don't necessarily know about that. Uh, We know that the stag is, Mm-hmm. especially from the recent lore tab <laughs> legitimately sounds like it is a stag and it's it is the skull sh- of a stag very shamanistic uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to say we start talking like animal spirits at that point, which is funny enough what we were all kind of looking at going, no, don't put that in the game. And I'm still looking at that going, can we not talk about that? Because that goes into a whole different level of spirit, spirit <laughs> handling. Um, but for, you know, how bones end up managing, how important the bones of, say, we, we know what influence they may uh, may or may not have had with Rizilla's ear uh, turning into Dredgen Yor, uh, but we are able to, to pull a few pieces from that. We also know how the Ahamkara bones kind of handle. Uh, where I lead back to with all of this is, do we think that the, in one way or another, even if it is just like a, a juvenile worm too, like the ones we see on the moon, uh, do they have any additional power that could influence uh, those that are that are attached to them in some way? Oh man! I mean, that's something we haven't even really said anything about tonight. Is the "O Bearer Mine" comment? Hmm. Well. I've been trying to keep the Ahamkara out of this because, yes, you'll have me on a 20-hour tangent with that right. one alone. Well, yeah, right. I'll be right alongside you on that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. But see you and I will just be fighting to. there. I mean, uh, it's leading to that in that, that line of thought. Well, it, I, I definitely see where, yeah, that could be. Uh, they the, the Ahamkara are a major piece of in showcasing what bones effectively mean within destiny's universe as a whole, uh, being able to kind of speak to what the wielder has and everything like that. Uh, but it's, it's at least not the only time where I guess we, we see it happen. Uh, again, I would call to the stag again. I would call towards uh, bad juju because it seems like it's a partial smart weapon or, you know, a, a weapons of sorrow that would that would follow the same bill. Uh, we, as far as I know, however, haven't seen anything that's been like one hundred percent related to the worm gods as being like strapped to a weapon or piece of armor or something like that. Uh, so that's why I think it's uh, a slight open discussion. Uh, uh, if nothing else, if you do want to take it from the Ahamkara side, then I think it a, a short yes. But it's do the the powers change that much or alter in any way? I guess. Hmm. I'm still trying to fight the the urge to go down the Ahamkara road. All right, we can we can skip it because Lord knows that we are going to be uh, <laughs> we we will be here for the next three days. <laughs> yes, Aham yes, Carl encourages you. Oh gosh, please no. Aham Carl oh, oh, also oh, encourages you. Oh podcast, oh podcast host ours. <laughs> we should do an episode just devoted to what we know about the Aham Kara. And just, I know we've done it before, but I think we should do it again just to update a little bit, even though there. Yeah, because I mean, we actually do point. have a few new little tidbits. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's going yeah, on the that, poll. Uh, one that could possibly break the fourth wall, but 
Does it? <laughs> I love that car. Yeah. I love that one. I hated it initially. I, I read it like it. five more times and I was like, I think I get it. I oh my gosh. Uh Born didn't isn't that one of the ones that Born read on the video? That's exactly where that entire okay. thing had sprung yeah. up because the the amazing, very brief story behind that amazing uh, presentation of that card was she did oh my gosh she that that gave me a whole new level of respect for that particular card mm-hmm. yeah that that argument between her and i was uh if you want to talk about an argument that lasted a couple of days that's one of them that did <laughs> Uh, and yeah, that was the the dire Ahamkara skull, I believe. If I remember, skull right. absolutely proper. Yep. The entry, proper, the lore, yeah. the lore, the lore entry is skull of dire Ahamkara. For those who who want to mm-hmm. know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. just oh my god, oh player mind, oh player mind. For the what type for of the talking weird, skull would address its host skull. that way? Yeah, for the weird love folk who want to know what they're talking about. <laughs> it's just so funny. Like the entire thing is just, oh my gosh, it's so great. Uh, I'm gonna say there's other cards that showcase it, but between that and uh, which, which again, kind of showcases this this difference. Now I'm questioning what graviton forfeit is made out of. You know? Oh gosh, yeah. So. It, it just it, it all ties to this this discussion honestly with like the the worm gods were the ones that kind of started us down this whole line of like symbiotic relationships and how a being can otherwise uh, affect another, but then we see that it's they're they're not alone in in how this handles. So seeing new things that kind of filter off of that same topic with uh, Graviton Forfeit, uh, Skull of Dire Ahamkara, or any Ahamkara item, uh, even the the knuckles of uh, of Ao from Age of Triumph have little quips behind them besides, you know, all of these, uh, the, the stag, uh, the vulture's head on bad juju to call those out again, all of these kind of tie back to this idea that the, the worm god's overall presence in how they carry themselves is far from far from finite in the in the universe of what destiny has put themselves together on uh yeah i almost i almost kind of wonder how much the uh the the leviathan of callus could could be argued as having some kind of strange effect on him but oh yeah especially uh, if no gosh that connection i'm gonna say that's uh that's a that's a whole nother level of spin foil right there. Um, yeah, and real quick, uh, <laughs> a lot of people are pointing out, you know, the other connection between the Worm Gods and the Ahamkar is is kind of the, the physical description that we get from Yule, um, which is, you know, the vast displacement of great and coiling length with folded jaws and curled wings. Um, it, it's not necessarily a dragon though it could be like an eastern variation i know justin has a whole theory on chinese dragons if you guys really want to hear it um but they are they are massive creatures uh that are described as being fecund 
which is basically fecund is, is interesting because everyone kind of associates the the worm gods with like this death and destruction and all this. Fecund actually means producing or capable of producing an abundance of offspring or new growth and being fertile. So that's a little bit of an odd little connection or an odd little uh, juxtaposition there. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, though someone in the chat actually, I uh, green, you might've been, I don't, do you remember who it was that made this, but someone pointed out, they're like, I read that as being all the larva mm-hmm. crawling on him. And I was like, I was like, I had never even like that had never crossed my, and as soon as they said that, I was like, Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Like that, right. that does make a lot more sense. <laughs> I don't remember who it was in chat. Is I mean, oh my had... gosh! Up until up until that point, I had always pictured them as like the uh, the shadow of the Colossus figures with like the the structures mm-hmm. on them that you have to like you know crawl through and stab them in the magic weak spot. Um, <gasps> that's how we're gonna fight the Worm Gods. We're gonna go shadow the Colossus on them. That just reminds me of the Penny Arcade mm-hmm. comic. Did you hear about Steve? No? Oh no? yeah, I remember. No, okay. I was like, I was like, I know it's an older one. But I had to still. think about it. I was like, I had to think about some, it for a second. Some little guy crawled up on him and stabbed him in the magical weak spot. Mm-hmm. I've been telling mm-hmm. you for years, these things are a liability. Right. Uh, that was uh, that was a very filtered version of the comic. If you <laughs> if you want to see the original, just go search Penny Arcade Shadow of the Colossus. It's well worth the well with worth the googling. Um, let's see, uh, going back to bones real quick beard. We also see that in ghost fragment ocean of storms too, uh, yep. which is where we kind of have the worms with bones and scales and also the face hugger room, right? Which I, which I totally am still a hundred percent sold that that is xenomorphs being born. Um, so what what was that? What what wait a minute. The the end of the end we of We are the, the hive, maybe? Yeah, yeah, no. The end of Ocean Storms 2 is totally, <laughs> totally the astern or the, the lunar colonist stumbling on a, a xenomorph birthing chamber. That's exactly what right. it is. Yep. Death white egg cases of nightmares yet to come. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's gonna hug your face and you're gonna have a chest bopper. Like that's just what's gonna happen, and I'm sorry. Um, there is there was an argument. I don't. I haven't heard this particular argument in a while. But I remember when we were doing the original Ahamkara and Warm God episode, there was an argument that was being made that the creatures in the Ocean of Storms two card were actually not worms at all, but something else entirely that the Hive was using to Mm. burrow into the moons that they used for ships. Right. Um. I don't. I still don't know really where I stand on that argument. Uh, cause I can kind of see it. I, I mean, like I can kind of see the argument, but I just, I don't, I haven't gotten any new information, so I don't really. I mean, that depends on how far you want to take how the, the, if you will, insides of Akka look with the dreadnought. Right. Was right, right, it right. all like that? Or was there something that had burrowed? And then my argument to that would be, well, the hive and the worms grow at different rates. Is there such thing as like a juvenile worm? So that opens up right. uh, a whole right. different 
can of worms. I really get, wanted to avoid that one, but I had to say, I was gonna, yeah, that, and I'm also going to get in trouble for this one too, because all that reminds me of is worms burrowing through things is the Logokos from uh, Halo. Cause uh-huh. the Logoko worms, that's what they do. They, they burrow through stuff. And that's actually one of the reasons they, they, they get in trouble because they keep trying to eat the high, the, uh, forerunner artifacts and the prophets are like, no, you can't do that. Those are not food. So I'm, I'm also having a, a wrath of con moment here with the brain slugs. But oh, that's okay. <laughs> God. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's see what other what other connections did we have way way back mm-hmm. um i did have the the community there the, oh man yeah this one was a fun one so the connection between the worm gods uh the Faustian bargain. Uh, it was kind of like they, they were kind of the, and the worm gods were the kind of the origin of the title of Prince for the, the siblings. Right. Is that, is that correct? Have we, did we see any reference to like the, the Osmium court or the helium court as princes before the worm gods were, were included in the conversation? I don't because I don't I don't think we did. But anyways, uh, there was there is like an argument back back when we were talking about like some of the 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 bargaining of the books of sorrow. Uh, there's the argument that the worm parasite is akin to like a demonic possession. You you get a lot of themes of pride, egocentrism, of falling darkness, the formless one, the you know, like the parasitic endosymbiotic relationship that uh, Justin and I had talked about a little bit. Um, there, there, there's still, I have not yet still found any one-to-one relations or connections between worms and any demonology grimoires that I know of. Um, but there are some interesting connections historically, uh, kind of slight connections. Uh, there was a classification of demons in around the 1600s, roughly 1613, which is known as the Michaelis classifications. Uh, you see the the word Leviathan kind of used here. And Leviathan was actually described as a prince of the seraphim, which kind of talking demonology, you also have to talk about what's called angelology. Um, and the seraphim is a higher order of angelic hosts that included Lucifer, who most will recognize as the you know, the figure of Satan, uh, who tempted people to give into heresy and was actually opposed in this classification by St. Peter. Uh, later on, you have another classification, uh, by Binsfield, uh, that basically presents the Leviathan as the prince of the sin of envy. Uh, this was where we kind of start getting the idea of seven princes, one for each of the deadly sins, um, in this classification, uh, this was actually before Michaelis. This was in 1589. Um, and then real quick for Leviathan, there was another reference uh, of Leviathan as – so Leviathan has always been actually one of the darker aspects. It's never been a, a figure of good. Um, uh, Book of Amber, uh, Abramelin. Uh, Leviathan is one of the four princes of the demonarchies. Uh, in 1818, you see a reference of Leviathan as the Grand Admiral Knight of the Fly, which is a really kind of interesting title, uh, in the Dictionary Infernal. Uh, and that was actually based off, it was a parallel based off the European courts at the time 
So that's where we get a presentation of demonarchies that were very fiefdom-like, and there was a number of courts which basically were comprised within those different hierarchies. Um, and it was it was also a sociopolitical commentary, much like Dante's Inferno. Um, so that was that was a very popular way of critiquing your opponents or allies within the the context of the world at that time. But that was kind of the connections that we had that I had always kind of been seen. And that was really just in Leviathan. You know, the other the other ones are pretty there. Like I said, there was no really one to one relation between those that I could that I could find off the top of my top of my head. I'm trying to see. um, I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty much it. As far as my notes go, I mean, like, I, I can go into demonology a bit further, but I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. <clears throat> it gets yeah, it gets happy. dark really fast, which is not, like, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, like, but... shocking. Yeah, it's not yeah, at I mean, all, but, like, I mean, like, you start diving into theistic Satanism and stuff like that for regards to, like, the... the uh, oh, yeah. The Faustian bargains and the princes of the, I mean, there, there are some connections in the terminology used here, but I'm trying, I'm going to try to keep the podcast PG. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And we're not going to go down that, that particular, that, that particular rabbit hole (laughs) of connections. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think. That is, for me, that's the notes that I have. Um, oh, when, I just thought of the thing I was thinking of. Uh, what's the, because I'm stupid and I just closed the notes. Um, the, it was uh, Ur, Urbox Flame Prince. Yeah, Urox mm-hmm. Flame Prince, right. Urox Flame Prince, okay. So, the others deal with the the main worms, mm-hmm. the the other swarm princes, but this one is very different, of course, with the name that it has. Uh, I I at least wanted to call to attention the fact that it's called the Flame Prince. Right. This is really out of character, uh, just for the fact that when you start to think of flame, you also start to think of soul, or at least solar energy you also tend to think of, and even as it's been related to uh, fire in general, of course, because, you know, flame, fire, so on, uh, all of that has actually been related back to, like, the what had basically started all of life uh, amongst the universe. Like, fire is the thing that basically started most everything, allowed for uh, oxygen, helium, so on, whatever, to combine fuse go through fusion and then you have the formation of the planets and so on uh and then you have humans and then you have other life on the planet of earth and then whatever else within the universe but fire is always at the very peak of it Mm. it's also not the thing i would associate with the hive (laughs) so i'm wondering why that name in particular is used for him if if there is any reasoning whatsoever other than, you know, there are they, are they doing research into it? Because we know that they are, uh, is there something else that's going on with it? I don't know. I'm, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss when I see that. The only and and considering Savathun's song with the the work oh. with Hive uh, with the the Void Light and everything, that's where I'm wondering if it's not like a research project of some kind. But sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the only thing that I know is from the grimoire itself. It says Urox calls out to all wielders of the light to burn away all they are until only the darkness remains. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, the absolute. Uh, conflagration of something like the the mm-hmm. the the same thing as like a fire break, right? Which yes, that a fire break is a real thing, and it's when you burn something down so that nothing can burn on it because it's already been burned, and it's mm-hmm. just darkness. Um, but yeah, no, actually, now that you make the point of Savathun's song, that is a really interesting because if you look at Urox, at least the Grimoire card he actually does look like he has solar crystalline structures embedded in him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird just to at least have that kind of tie back with him because the hive are, are fairly specific in like how they want to take things and, and how they, they speak on certain forces. Like there's, there's flame and then there's, you know, dark flame and a few other things that kind of uh, pass back behind it. Like you've got uh, the hated, you've got uh, Alakul, the dark bringer, like all of these things are, are fairly, fairly named and aptly named for reasons. Uh, and when you end up getting the flame, the, the, the flame prince, it just doesn't, line up to me i don't know yeah and and you know i was gonna say also that would explain from a lore perspective his his uncanny control over solar light Mm -hmm. like if he's been imbued with uh, I, i don't yeah that's that's a really interesting really interesting uh Connection. I'm just wondering, but Urza, uh, I want to call him Urzak, and it's not right. Uh, Urox, uh, his his allegiance though was towards was towards Oryx, correct? No, it well his his allegiance was prince prince to none. Urox kept watch over a long forgotten brood long ago. Which is kind of where right. I was like, I was like, is he connected to Titan? Is he connected to Akka? Like, what, where, what is this connection? Because, because, oh yeah, cause it go, because it goes on to say that with the remnants of that spawn at his side, Urox calls right. to all wielders of the light. So, I mean, like, he's he's gotten, and that he was one of the ones that would <laughs> beg the question of, is he, is he a, a prisoner or is he in the prison of elders because he wants to be there? Right, yeah, I'm gonna say he could he could try to take over the whole thing. At yeah, that point. he he kept he was uh, what was the the vex the other one was the vex the the gate lord that was kind of like yeah I like this place I'm just gonna stay here like it was oh like, yeah it, 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 it's not it's not quadron it, is it? yeah no no I don't think it was oh, I forget who, now but it was like the the card itself was like yeah we're we're not really. Sh- like, we're not really sure if it's a prisoner or if it's just like, this is my home now. <laughs> I, yeah. I just like it here. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> but, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I like that connection. Um, green, do you have any final questions to stump us with? Not, not this time, not this time. The worm gods are without just being utterly speculative. It's hard to get into Mm. the worm gods and have any stump questions. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, and yeah, pretty much any question about the worm gods with, yeah. If you don't allow speculation and the answer is going to, it's going to stump you. I'm going to say what we have is so in a way limited to, to our knowledge basically of like what the hive have told us about them. And even then, you know, acceptance of what the, the books of sorrow effectively tell us about them with some extra flavor text intermingled is not exactly the most revealing things just yet. Mm-hmm. It, it tells us enough, but it's still, it still just doesn't go far enough, I guess. Well, and the other, the other thing is guess, you know, this was kind of a point of contention for, for a lot of people online these past couple of weeks, but the the revelation. I wasn't to, gonna bring it up. I know, I know, but I think I think it's an apt <laughs> it's an apt point to bring it up. It's an apt it part is. of this is, is the revelation that you know grimoire and the lore information that we have from game is all from in game perspective. Which I mean, we <laughs> we you know we've we've had this conversation quite a bit on on our, our between our team. I know I've had it with the Ishtar team. I'm sure you guys have had it with your guys's, you know, your friends and all that. Um, I mean, that's not a huge surprise, but it was, it was, uh, I think a shock for some people um, to get that officially acknowledged. I, I don't know. Um, well, but I mean, they go, Oh, go for it. It's, go for it. it's the idea of, is it, is, are the things in grimoire or in, in the story that we know, are they, given to us by an outside observer or are they given to us by characters in the game? Cause if it's an right. outside observer, they can be completely like able to say for a hundred percent that this is what it is. This is what I've seen out of all of it. But as, if it's somebody in game, which I think is more realistic as far as yep, storytelling I goes, I love it. You're going to get, you're going to get inconsistencies one because mm-hmm. No one can remember an event absolutely as it is. There's reasons why people in like the police force, detectives and stuff like that get collaborations Mm -hmm. because you have to put together all the different pieces to get the story. And I think that this is exactly that. We're able to see more of a story because we have all the different perspectives and not every single perspective is going to be a hundred percent correct. It's more realistic. Well, and and in that regard, uh, as much as a lot of people still don't necessarily like me for it, uh, I had this video back in May talking (laughs) about this guy (laughs) with a mask, and everybody just thought that he was really this really cool guy that spoke a bunch of truths, and it turned out he was nothing but, you know, not not really a truth teller. Uh, I have other colorful words for him. See uh, our next spinfoil episode because we're going to go in depth on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I immediately called that up from 
when like the folklore uh, aspect had been had been brought to uh, fruition because everybody was like, well, you know, the speaker was this guy that ended up telling us all this stuff. And I was like, the speaker told you nothing. And every single other idea that the speaker had was apparently perpetuated by other philosophers within the tower. And we are now being told that stuff to us through other means. So the the whole concept of things being folklore, being told from a different voice, this, that, the other thing, I got that so long ago just from like starting to read some stuff over with the speaker. Mm-hmm. And I still cannot like embrace the books of sorrow as 100% fact, considering the, you know, one of the end lines is these books are full of lies. <laughs> the spray, the uh, spray there, paint on the wall. There's, there's just so many different uh, things that you can, that I've been able to kind of look over and say, you know this, uh, and 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 Kex I think did such a good job with like the 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 hierarchy, if you will, of like where oh, uh, yes. Captain Kex, if you guys are familiar Kex with like the hierarchy that. of like how to to establish lore. Um, but the the biggest thing is just like there's established, there's there's like a, like almost proven truth ideas, so on. Um, and then there is, you know, I'm, going into one. like almost absolute truth. Uh, I, I can't remember it word for word, but he has just this really good hierarchy of how uh, lore fits into it. And I think it's it's like absolutely wonderful. Um, oh, OK. Uh, speculation, possible, probable, likely and confirmed. There we go. That's the the whole hierarchy that way. So if you get up the gumption to do so since of course we've got the databases that you can now uh, I almost feel like, and this is uh this is actually going to be spoilers, the topic of a video coming up because I feel like this conversation needs to be talked about a little bit more. Uh, we need to now kind of go through this uh, in a, in a different light, the, the grimoire in a different light uh, only because now that we have this base confirmation uh, those that may have not gotten, well, how do I, how do I interpret this? How do I take care of it this way? Not all of it is folklore, but to get that idea that like everything has this grounding in some possible like untruth. Yeah. Uh, it's like any kind of record. That's like any kind of, uh, a spoken idea, something like that. There's whisper down the lane, and then there's a text log that legitimately reports everything to you. And you can argue till you're blue in the face that maybe some stuff is, uh, you know, ha- has been tampered with or anything like that. I wouldn't personally go that far. Like, I think the text logs are okay, but the the base ideas on like some of the stuff that's out there, yeah, we got to question it. And we well, should like have been the questioning audio it. recordings, even like the ghost yeah. recordings. Right. Those are all from a perspective of what the ghost is seeing. You're not getting every everything behind it. Right. And and even then, I would still say that they're like, you know, likely if if we're going by Kex's ideas, they're they're highly likely versus like a full confirmed. And the same ended up happening too. And I'll. I'll pull my my favorite one here when it comes to the speaker 
is when Ghost ends up feeling that the speaker is right about all light being interconnected. And Ikora is the one that ends up telling us that, well, Olin Tan's theory of light uh, being interconnected, I guess, is right. And I was just like, so now I'm getting shown two different sides of this coin and it needs to to basically like uh, figure some way to work itself out. I am rambling on about this, but well, and I like uh, I like just real quick to to kind of tie tie it off for you is the, yeah. the the thing with Kex's chart is that like, and if anyone wants that, I I have it typed up. I know, I mean, Kex has it typed up. Obviously, it's it's. I mean, to to be a little bit transparent. That's Kex's job <laughs> is to yeah, is to right. do this for like actual law enforcement. So like he he actually I mean Kex Kex knows what he's talking about on on this particular topic, but he also did an amazing episode with Ishtar uh, as well as uh, with uh, uh, he did an episode with Purple and I think Baxter was on that particular episode. But then yep. Purple also did a standalone episode that talked about the bias of of lore. So good. And I'm I'm so and and here's the thing is like any anyone who has done historical dives uh, for research purposes, this isn't this isn't like a new concept. Um, even information that we have today in the real world is biased. There is no such thing as a completely unbiased presentation of information. Everything is biased by the individual presenting it or the individual reading it. You know, there's, there's bias in everything we do. Um, and it's actually, and this is one of the beautiful things about Purple's like explanation of this, because again, Purple actually, she she is actually a historical archivist. Like she she knows again, she knows what she's talking about here. Um, is that it's it's not so much as the trying to remove the bias; it's trying to recognize the bias and take into account the bias. Um, and that and that's really big thing, especially for historical research uh, or, you know, any time you've had to do a thesis or anything like that. That's one of the first things you have to do is identify the bias and try to at least acknowledge it so that everyone is aware of that. Um, and I, I really honestly, I, I coming from getting information from like Halo lore and Elder Scrolls lore. This is kind of a conversation I had on Twitter as everyone was like up in arms about this. I'm like. Go read any Elder Scrolls lore. All of it is from in-game perspective. Like there, there's nothing in Elder Scrolls lore. I mean, there is now because we've been able to, like, every we've had so much information that we've been able to piece together like very factual pieces. But like, there, there is no official, um, there's no official connection or no official narrator in Elder Scrolls lore. It's all, it's all biased. Um, and, and to go back to kind of what you guys were talking about with like the text, the text archives, the thing to remember with text archives is again, that yes, that is those conversations actually happened, but the people having the conversations were characters within this game world. They are biased towards their perspectives and experiences of the world, right? So they, they themselves do not have perfect knowledge, there is no such thing as perfect knowledge, um, which is I, which to me makes it what makes it so much fun. It's because you're constantly mm-hmm. having to reevaluate where you're coming and what you're doing and all that. So, well, it's like, do you read something as the guardian 
or do you read it as, as the a player? player. Got and yeah. Oh, yeah, speak speaking of all right, yeah, speaking of speaking of that, that's another video and you know, Beard Beard's channel. Uh give give Bourne's video a, a listen because she does also an amazing job in presenting that exact question. And and the thing is it's not exclusive. Like you can do both. Not at all. And actually doing both is where the fun really starts. Yeah. In my opinion, I, I think that's that's where that's where it gets endlessly entertaining. So. I have five journal full that would say yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. And he writes tiny. I write really <laughs> tiny. It's like font 10. It's like really small. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's let's start right. wrapping up. Let's start wrapping up and do what what shout outs we got this week. Beard, how about what do you got for us? Uh well, trying not to comment on what Green just typed in chat. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean sometimes, guys. Oh, is it I'll get you on the after show, you. I'm is not it staying. Okay? Anyway. What's what's that just I hear you, Justin. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Shout outs for this week. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm honestly just going to say, hey, Twitterverse, uh, for the most part, I'm not absolutely admonishly depressed this week because there's been a lot more people being positive, And I like that. Uh, there's actually been a lot of people that would be it for like different games or anything like that. Like, uh, I, I doubt I had anything to do with it, but my, my statement that I made like a few weeks ago to just say, take a step back, pull yourself away from everything and just clear your head, regardless of whether my impact on it, that might've done anything or if somebody else had said something or it's just come full pendulum swing. And now everybody's just saying, yeah, maybe we should step away from things and and let it cool off. Regardless. uh, I am, I'm very happy to see that everybody's just trying to enjoy themselves a little bit more. Uh, And that is something that I think has just been missing for the last several months. Uh, So definitely good, uh, good on everybody at this point. Uh, Otherwise, the only other big shout out that I can I can honestly think of uh, goes back to honestly uh, Bife and Mylan uh, this week because I've been talking with them a lot more. And it's just one. It's great to always get in their heads because it, it's funny how similar the three of us kind of think and additionally it's also scary how similar the three of us think uh but it's more because we're able to just kind of like collab on ideas uh even if we're not collabing uh and it's just nice to to have that uh to to like like this outlet of course here with uh focus fire uh as well just being able to talk with like-minded people and know that I'm absolutely not absurd in, in some mannerism. Uh, It's, it's always a comforting feeling, especially when, uh, when I'm still trying to get my mind in the exact right place I need it to be, which is getting much, much better. And once again, I rambled on and on and on. So I'm done. Thank you. I'm off my soapbox. So warlock hive mind confirmed green. 
Yeah, yeah pretty much. I mean, I, I don't know if I... Problem <laughs> is, if I say yes, Warlock Hive Mind confirmed, I'm going to get lumped into that because Beard and I have been doing a lot of spin foiling together, and this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gets a little awkward at that point because I'm I've been asked like three times in the last month if I play Warlock. I'm like, guys, guys, no, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I love like the moral indignation there. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Who wants to do that? Oh, I don't. It's not that I don't want to do that. I just am really crappy at doing that. <laughs> I, I, no. I, I actually the D two warlock is not as bad. No, the the jump is significantly better. That's all I gotta say. That's my second. And the award for best per- impersonation of a screen door goes to Beard. <laughs> <laughs> but I know. Uh, speaking speaking of positive positive things, Green. I know you had something that's really actually a really cool thing yeah. that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I got a. We have some friends in the Focus Fire community and just kind of lore community friends? in general. Yeah. Yeah, they're oh, friends. They're friends. <laughs> it's Hatchy Dave. You know Hatchy Dave. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, him and Average Joe and Sentinel Dad are putting together an event called the Saint Fourteen Project. If you haven't seen it on Twitter, it's kind of been going around a little bit. But I got a letter from them talk talking about it and just kind of asking us to put it out there. And so uh, Hatchy says. Hello, Focus Fire Chat. As a lore community, we know the importance of our beloved Saint-14. In the lore, not only was he an influential figure amongst Guardians, he was also a hero to the people of the Last City. It is, with this ideal in mind, that we choose Saint-14 to lead the charge in breaking the stigma of mental health amongst our Destiny community. And so, the Saint-14 project was born with the goal in mind of not only breaking the stigma of mental health, but also bringing awareness and support to our community as a whole. To accomplish some of these goals, we're cordially inviting each and every one of you to join us on our very first St. 14 Project Mental Health Awareness Charity Stream in support of TakeThis.org on February 10th from noon to midnight Eastern Standard Time. Here's what to expect. St. 14 Project has been busy. We have rallied the community, and the community has graciously answered our call. We have gathered a fantastic group of field professionals, community artists, and amazing streamers to bring you an educational yet entertaining experience. Did I mention the giveaways? Yes, there will be loot. So please join us on February 10th. For more information, follow us on Twitter at Saint14Project or email us at at saint14project at gmail.com and always remember you are not alone guardian and last but not least thank you focus fire chat for your support and helping us spread the word we are all big fans and love your work at hatchet dave average joe 227 and sentinel dad once again thank you so much and tell everyone that i love them from hatchet dave about the saint 14 project so these guys have been working hard on it. I know they got a lot of people involved with it from all aspects of the community, not just like lore side. They've got artists in there. I would not be surprised if Bell's involved in some way, shape, or form. And that's next Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. 
right. the charity stream. Justin, what about you? That's my shout out. Oh, Justin's shout out. It's 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 hard to even go about even starting Justin's shout out. So first, I like to shout out the honorable Mr. Kung Fu Frogs for getting married to Riachel and um inviting me to said wedding and then blue for laughing <laughs> at his own brother's wedding. And then also also just so Everybody knows I, I'm bringing a date. I'm bringing a date. Yeah. So we get we get to see so, Gavin. No, no. There's no. That would be weird. No, 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 no. I'm bringing an honest to goodness date, and she's a girl. <laughs> she's a girl. And she's a girl, and she thinks I'm cute. Um. No. No. Uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, also, um, if you know Ben, could you find out if this is an open bar or not? Um, <laughs> anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, I was going to keep my comments away from Calm Down Murder Face, but uh, nope, I think I got to make them. When did when did Metalocalypse get involved in this? Good grief, Justin! Listen, listen. You should not. You should not be so critical of me. Um, I get you your favorite thing. Disappoint me. Oh God! <laughs> oh, 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 you're so pickles. I love it. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyways, anyways, um no, just wanted to say a big shout out to everyone doing what you could and uh also all the big shout out to all the Twitter well wishes for my sick son over the week nice. because he was very sick. And that's it. All right. Uh so, shout-outs, final comments from myself. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about The Reef and The Awoken. So, uh, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that or your answers to the community feedback, which was, again, at the top of the episode. Uh, big shout-out to Daniel J. Worthy, or I believe it's Worthy D, uh, for Podbean Patron. We really appreciate your support on that one. And also for those of you who are in live stream and are witnessing this, this random citizen who keeps trying to sell me this random pile of hydraulic things. I don't know what this is, but this guy will not leave me alone. Um, so yes, big shout out to that random NPC in the tower. Good job, dude. You're not taking no for an answer. I keep telling him no, he keeps coming back. Um, but yeah, so we'll run through one through an outro and probably stick around for a little bit of an after show. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our other sites can also be found with our episode archives over on the new focusfirechat.com. 
Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any questions or comments for our team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing podcast partners within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.